You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. I want to have you do what we did last Sunday night. We're going to be in two different places just to start with. Uh, Find your place and hold it in Joshua chapter 7, and then, if you will, go on over to James chapter 1, James chapter 1. Joshua 7, and then James chapter 1. Everybody those, at those two places, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 7, and I'm going to read out of James chapter 1. Again, this is just like we did last week, pretty much. It's going to let me finish out the rest of that chapter there in Joshua 7, though. So, um, if you will, follow with me in James 1, verse 12. Start in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for... When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And these two verses are very telling, if you'll listen to them carefully. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust, as opposed to God being the one that causes me to fall into sin or to be drawn into sin. Uh, No, contrary to that, every man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then you'll flip on over to uh, Joshua chapter 7 there, if you will. Joshua 7, and if you'll remember last Sunday night, we read through those first, oh, 15 verses or so, and um, we showed how Israel had, um, and I realize they weren't called that at this point, but um, the, the Hebrews had come up against um, the walls of Jericho, and the walls of Jericho had miraculously come down. God did a mighty work there, and that was tremendous, and they are feeling on top of the world. And so now they're going up against a little city called Ai. And uh, so they went up and spied it out. And some of of the guys come back and said, you know, Joshua, militarily speaking, humanly speaking, um, really all we're going to need is just two or 3,000 guys to go up against this little city. Uh, Don't make all the men of war fight in this battle. We'll do well with just two or 3,000. And so they, you know, they got their two or 3,000 guys together go up against little Ai, and when they did, Ai came out after him, buddy, chased him down the hill, and 36 of uh, the Hebrews were killed. And Joshua goes and falls down before the Ark of the Covenant, laying there, weeping and crying and begging and saying, God, now what are we going to do? What will, we, what will you do with your great name, God? And basically, God says, um, what are you doing laying here praying? 
when there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. When God has already told you what to do, guys, and this is important, I'm saying this to me as much as anybody, when God has already told us what to do, you don't need to pray about what to do. What you need to do is what God said to do. God said to him, what are you doing laying here like this? Get up. Israel has sinned. My people have, have sinned. And, um, and so I can't bless you with this kind of a sin that's working in, um, in the midst of your, of your people. So um, we get down into verse, uh, let's start in verse 16 here. And we'll work our way on down now. Okay, so in verse 16. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. Please notice the process. Brought the whole nation together by their tribes. How many would that have been? Twelve tribes. And so now he takes one of those tribes, and that's the tribe of Judah. Still, many thousands of people, and all the rest were dismissed. Okay? Uh, let's see in verse 17. And he brought the family of Judah. Now we're narrowing it down here a little bit. It's not, uh, you know, the whole tribe there. But you've got the family of Judah. And then he took the family of the Zarhites. And he brought the family of the Zarhites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. Man, this is getting smaller and smaller in number. And he brought his household man by man until we get down to this name. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And here's the process, guys. Listen to this. Uh, may everybody please take note of how he words this in verse 21. When I saw. Surely somewhere along the way, someone's got you to underline these, these verbs, haven't they? When I saw. You haven't, I think it would be good for you to do so. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. Then, next verbs, I coveted. I saw, I coveted them, and number three, underline it, and took them. So that's the process. I saw, then after I saw it long enough, I coveted. Then after the coveting took place, I went ahead and, and took them. I stole them, really is what he did. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Guys, it's what you do when you get caught up in sin. When you fall into a trap like that and you've, uh, your eyes have stared long enough at something, you begin to covet that thing, that's something that is not right for us to want. When you go ahead and take that and sin against the Lord, you have to go into hiding. You have to. You, you know it's wrong. You felt the conviction of God. You knew something wasn't right about that. So you, you have to hide that. And I'll just say this tonight. It's, it's kind of working into my message here just a little bit. If you find yourself in a place even tonight where you are hiding things and working things so that nobody can find out, and just me, 
and the people that I'm involved with know about it, then, friend, you're on very, very dangerous ground. God does not play around with this, honestly. So after he hid it um, in the midst of his tent and the silver under it, verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran under the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Hmm. So you mean there might come a time when what I've done wrong and I've tried to hide is exposed before everybody? Yes. So verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them unto the valley of Achor and Joshua said why hast thou troubled us the Lord shall trouble thee this day and all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones um let me just pause here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and I know I'm, I only got one more verse here, but there's a lot of belief that um, Achan and his family were all stoned, every one, and then they were burned. Every one were burned in the fire, and the potential is definitely there. I, sometimes I go back and forth on whether or not that's really what happened, but if you look at it, it, it can also look like that all of his family was brought to the stoning while he was stoned. And uh, the, the them, let's read verse 25 together. Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee, um, Achan, this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them. And they say that them could very possibly be all the things that he had stolen. He was stoned and all of those things were burned with fire. You, you would have a tendency to possibly think that burned them might have to do with his whole family. And I got to tell you, I don't know which one it is. It could have been his family, his wife, his children, but it could have been a reference to the things that he had stolen. He was stoned and then they burned all those things along with him. Look in verse 26. It's kind of telling. And they raised over them or him which makes you also possibly believe it maybe was just him but i'm not sure and i'm not trying to say which one it was what i do know without doubt is this was a very se severe uh, correction by god against a grievous sin so verse 26 they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day so the lord turned from the fierceness of his anger Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor, or the word means troubling, unto this day. Let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you for uh, letting us be back into the Word of God tonight. I just pray and ask that you'll help us as we take a look at the rest of this chapter, God. My prayer as a pastor who will give an account one day for the way I've led and pastored this church would ask that you'll please speak to every one of us, God. My heart is wide open to you. I pray that there would not be a closed heart here this evening, but each of us would be very sensitive to the leadership of God's Spirit. And God, show us 
if we've been guilty of doing things our way, hiding things, covering up things, not wanting others to find out, and would you please, under the light of the Holy Spirit tonight, expose those things in our hearts, and maybe we'd be able to get them right and have a good, clear conscience and a walk with God. We'll thank you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give a title to my message tonight, A Seared, Calloused Conscience. Seems to fit it so well. You know that, guys, the way you were raised, um, our learning that we got back in our home or in the setting that we were involved in, has everything to do with a set of values that you hold to deep in your heart. The way you were raised, and I'm going to say to the boys and girls, hey, all the little boys and girls, can you look up here tonight? Um, The way your mom and daddy are raising you or trying to raise you tonight has everything to do with what's down inside of you and what you will begin to live with when you grow up as an adult yourself. When you grow up and you have decisions to make, the way you make your decisions is you'll look down inside, you'll remember what was said or done, what was carved or shaped inside of you will be what you'll draw from down inside of your heart uh, as uh, the set of values that you feel like is the way I'm going to live my life. You just, you just do. Uh, and I realize some of us were raised hmm, in a, possibly a very heathen home and it wasn't a good set of values and things were not good possibly in your home, I don't know. And once you got saved, you needed to transform what values you thought you might have had and put some real genuine, sincere values that are worth drawing from now when there are decisions to be made. Uh, for instance, in the Spencer household, um, I've talk, talked enough about our household. It's, you should feel kind of halfways like you've been there before. But in our household, when I was a little boy growing up, Um, it was absolutely against the law to use any kind of swearing in our house. I never heard anything from my mom or dad or any any of our family members that sounded like or even resembled something that was swearing. So I've told you before that I had been over to my neighbors and I remember we were up in the hayloft and we were playing around and and he used a word I'd never heard used before and, and I said, what does that mean? And he told me. And we laughed about that. And um, so I went home, and uh, it was breakfast, Saturday morning breakfast time uh, at the Spencer household, was bacon and eggs, and uh, homemade syrup. You know there is such a product? Homemade syrup and, uh, and, and pancakes. Uh, now, my mom liked to cook them pretty leather-like, but you know enough syrup and butter on, on anything, is, you can make it taste pretty good. And it was, it was pretty good, and it was the, it was the uh, breakfast time on Saturday morning. Mom had a little extra time. We were all home and everything, and it was great. And mom made homemade biscuits, and uh, it, was, it was wonderful. It was a great morning, and I, as a probably seven, eight-year-old boy, was having a great time until I remembered the brand new word that I had never heard before in my life. And I thought this was time to be able to use that brand new word. And I, so I looked at my, one of my sisters and I said, da 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 bleep. 
and um, it got really quiet in the Spencer, around the Spencer table that, that morning. My dad literally dropped the fork that was in his hand. And when dad was really serious about something, he not only would lay everything down, he'd push himself back away from the table a little bit. And I knew that earthquakes were about to happen when things like that would take place. And there was about to take place an earthquake. And he said, son, now when my dad wanted to talk to me nice, he wanted the biscuits passed to him, it was Bub. Hey, Bub, would you pass the biscuits? Sure, dad. Uh, but this was not Bub. This was son. Yes. I mean, it's instantly the great white throne judgment is right at the table. You just have to know my dad. Where did you hear that word? Bobby. Bobby told me that word over there. And, and he says, we don't use that word in this house. Yes, sir. I never use that word ever again, ever, 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 ever in my whole life. It, it's just kind of a wordy dirt. It's not like using God's name in vain. Uh, and, and sometimes it's commonly used around people uh, with no big deal. But it's a big deal to me. And I still feel like my dad could reach up and get a hold of the lightning button up there. And uh, son, I told you, never say that word. Yes, dad. Sorry about that. So that's one of the values about me. And if you can just guess what my values are <clears throat> relating to swearing today. It, it, especially when it's God's name in vain and maybe we're in a restaurant or something and I hear the Lord's name being taken in vain. It really stirs and it, it goes against me in a real negative way. That's because that's what was built inside of me and, and my values that had been placed inside of me. Um, my dad had a way of giving me a really good dose of respect for authority. I don't want to go into the ways that my dad had of uh, teaching me um, to have a, a good respect for authority. You might be able to figure that out. But uh, today, those principles still sit in my soul. And when an authority figure tells me what to do or not to do, listen, my conscience, guided by the Holy Spirit now, leads me to act outwardly what my values are inside of my soul. Please let me say that again. I want you to listen if you're drifting by chance. When an authority now tells me what I need to do or not to do, um, my conscience down inside, guided by the Holy Spirit, leads me to act in an outward way what my values are down inside. So I reach down inside of me, I hear an authority talk to me, and while there have been many times I've not appreciated some of the presidents that we've had in the United States, but if a president told me to do something, I may not respect the man, but I do respect the authority that he represents. And I would always respect and honor and do what they wanted me to do because what was placed inside of me as a young man is what I now draw from, and it's, it causes me to act on the outside a set of principles that were placed on the inside, if you can just kind of keep that in mind. So what is conscience? If you put a definition to conscience, try to put it into as, as understandable words as I could come up with. Conscience is an internal ability to be able to rationalize or to reason things out in a way that reveals what our value system is done outwardly. But our conscience is a trustworthy guide only when it is informed and ruled by a set of godly principles. And when God is the one leading my conscience, it's a good trustworthy guide. It's what I ought to go by. But when there's something else that I have begun to draw from, 
uh, to uh, begin to have as a new set of values that go contrary to a good set of principles that I've been taught, that's when we get into trouble. And once we're saved, guys, and you've invited Christ to come in and be the, the Savior of your heart, of your life, then we have Christ in us, obviously, and multiple Bible principles are then, throughout our saved life, begin to be discipled into our lives. And they form this basis of our, our conscience. And consequently, they form the basis of our actions. Um, maybe you weren't raised in a good Christian home. And maybe you didn't have a good set of values, but once you got saved and you got uh, under the, uh, a, a good set of uh, um, maybe devotions, you were under the preaching of the Word of God and you, you began to study even for yourself, you developed a whole new set of values inside of you from which you would draw from the inside to determine what your actions were going to then be on the outside. Another huge lesson tonight is conscience can be suppressed. And this is really, 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 really big. And it's where we're heading to in this passage tonight. Conscience can be suppressed, shoved down, stuffed down so deeply that it has no effect on me by sin. If I choose to do something I know is wrong to do, I shove my conscience as deeply as I can because I don't want to hear the voice of that conscience because it has a set of principles It's trying to change what I'm wanting to do right now. Conscience, though, can be suppressed by sin. When this happens, we begin to grow callous or calluses over the area where the principles lie in our hearts. Does anybody here still remember the name Ed Stridicke? Anybody remember Ed? Yeah, two or three of us remember Ed Stridicke was a member of our church uh, a lot of years ago. And Ed was uh, an electrician, and I worked for him one summer. I was an apprentice. I wasn't a good one, but I worked for him. I pulled a lot of wire for him through buildings. But Ed would like, he's like, um, I'd be like, Ed is uh, to work in this room. Do you know if the electricity is on or not? because I don't want to get up there and, and get shocked. And he goes, let me see. Now there'd be a light bulb out, and Ed would take two fingers like this and would reach up into the light socket where the light bulb was and would grab the metal. And he'd go, no, nah, electricity's not on. And I'm like, really? You want me to go by that? And then other times he would do it again like, yeah, it's on. The electricity's on here right here. I'm like, oh my goodness, now that's the kind of guy Ed Stridicke was. He had calluses worn over his fingers enough that if you just lightly pinch it, he would just get this little tingle that would run through his fingers. His eyeballs would light up, you know, his, his fingernails would shoot electricity out of him. But, but other than that, no, not really. Um, but he could tell, he could just lightly tell that, that um, you know, through the calluses, he wouldn't get hurt. He didn't have the same feeling that, that I would, if I'd have grabbed that thing, I'm not kidding, I'd have gone into lightning bolts form right there. But he couldn't feel that tingle or the shock, and it was so minimal that it did not bother him. Did you hear what I said? The callus was so thick, and the shock was so minimal that it didn't bother him. And as we sin in our lives, guys, we get calloused over in our hearts and our conscience gets this callous that grows over it. And you can just feel real lightly a little tingle, but it doesn't bother you anymore because of the callous that's nice and thick over that. 
And it doesn't bother me like it used to. When I was walking with God and my relationship was tender, was not calloused over. I mean, that conscience is so strong to me, and I really wanted to walk in fellowship with God, and, and I felt the prick, this is wrong to do, don't do that. Or I felt the prick in my heart, this is, this is the right thing to do, and I would go and do that. But as I began to walk away from God and to live my life the way I wanted to live my life, my heart got calloused over and I would shove and suppress all that conscience down as far as I could get it to go because I did not want to hear that voice. It bothered me. And it got to the place where I could barely feel it. There's no longer a guiding set of principles leading us when that happens. And we're now acting out in the flesh to get the things that we think are important to us. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to get those things. It does not matter because I want my way and I will, I will drive toward that thing. And I don't have to worry about it because I don't have a conscience. And if somebody else tries to bring my conscience up or to renew those thoughts in my conscience, I would shove those things out of my life because I don't want to hear that because what I really want is what I want. You don't want to hear a set of principles anymore. Sadly, this is the picture of what happened to Achan in our chapter here tonight. Also, of untold thousands of Christians that have fallen into his trap. I'll give you just some real quick thoughts, and, um, and then we'll be done with this tonight. Number one, please understand this. Hope you're listening. God always deals with our sin always <clears throat> if i kind of tried to get you as we were starting to read there in joshua and in verse 16 would you go back down there look in verse 16 so joshua rose up early in the morning and, and brought israel notice first of all it was by their tribes large uh, hundreds of thousands of people by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken, so now we've only got one tribe there. So then it goes from Judah uh, down to uh, um, a certain family, the Zarhites, and then and from the Zarhites it was brought man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and Zabdi brought his household man by man until there was, hey, listen, everybody look up here and listen, until there was only one man standing in front of him. God started with, with this huge, broad stroke. How many people were in that whole nation scattered across 12 different tribes? Hundreds of thousands of people were in that, uh, in that number. And Achan, sitting here, knows he's the reason 36 men have died this, uh, this day. And he feels pretty safe because, I mean, we're looking at 12 whole tribes. Who's going to find little old me down here in the midst of hundreds of thousands of people until they sent 11 tribes home and now we're down to, now we're down to one tribe. Still a whole bunch of people, though. And Aiken's feeling kind of safe, you know. Uh, I know I'm the one that caused this and, and I know what's back home in the tent. And, uh, but it's a whole tribe. Who's going to find me in this whole tribe until uh, Joshua says... Uh, Take that family, that one family of the Zarhites. And when he heard the Zarhites, that'd be like me here and take the Spencer family. And I'm telling you, my ears would perk straight up if, I, if I'd have heard that. My dad would come home uh, and I, my mom went and talked to him about things that had happened through the day. When I heard my dad say, where's Philip? Philip would go run and hide. I did not want to hear those words but they always came. 
Always, always, always. And when Achan heard the words, bring the Zarhites up here. I mean, fear begins to shake and to tremble. Now, you know, they say the roosters have, have come home to roost, or the chickens have come home to roost, and now the chickens are coming home, and he knows it. And it's narrowing down. He says, man, this is just my family now. And they narrow out all these other guys, and they don't send him home. He's, he's, all of a sudden, he's the only one left. I just want to tell you, God doesn't, God doesn't play around. God knows, hey, listen to me. God knows right where you're sitting, friend. He knows what we've said and done. He knows where it took place. He knows the attitude in your heart. He knows how well you hid that thing and so that no other human being would ever find out about it. But God knows right where you sit tonight. He knows where you're at. And God knows how to narrow it down. God knows how to bring you from a feeling of safety like, eh, no, nobody's ever going to find me. What's the big deal anyway? There's hundreds of people in my life and, and you really think I'm the cause of all of these things that are taking place within my family or within the workplace where I work or whatever. My church, you really think I'm the cause of that and then God shoves a whole lot of other people out of your life and it gets really narrow when there's only you standing in the mirror. God always deals with our sins. God will always find where you're at, friend. Achan felt pretty safe until God was narrowing it down. Then Joshua goes from his tribe down to his family, and then man by man until God revealed to Joshua, it's Achan. And now sheer terror is in his heart. Hold your place here and go back one book. Two books. Numbers, Deuteronomy. That is one book. Deuteronomy. Nope. Numbers. Nope. Deuteronomy. <laughs> Just kidding. It's Numbers 32. That was kind of fun to watch that. Numbers 32. Everybody there? Numbers 32. And uh, drop down to verse 23. Does anybody have verse 23 underlined? Yep. If you don't, you do you good to underline it or highlight it. Verse 23, everybody looking at it? But if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. And here we go. And be sure, your sin will find you out. Guys, that's a promise from God. You can flip back over to Joshua now, and I'm here to tell you, God always deals with our sin. You never get by with one thing. So secondly tonight, Achan is commanded to give God the glory. That's what Joshua says to him. Son, give, give glory to God and tell me what you have done. And he's forced to share the, the, the callous that has covered his godly principles and like some will actually, you know, I, I have heard people have such a callus on their heel. I'll actually take a stone and will work on that callus until they can rub that callus off. 
Uh, and so like somebody will do that on a part of your body or, or on your hand where it's tender until uh, uh, it comes down to the place where it's finally tender and smooth again. That's what Achan had to do with his heart. God was forcing him to shove away all those insensitivities and, and those thoughts that would shove and suppress the conscience down and bring his principles back up before his face and make him confess before God that what he did was wrong to do. He confessed that he had sinned against the very principles that God had placed deep in their hearts as the people of God. So thirdly tonight, again, Achan is forced to explain how the callus was formed. Can you tell me how that callus got there in the first place? Can you tell me how that process began to develop? Well, we took our time in verse 21. Will you go back down there with me again? Look in verse 21. Let's walk through it again. So here he's like, okay, I'll tell you. Here's what happened, okay? I, I, I couldn't help it, but here's, here's what happened. When I, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they're hid in the earth in the midst of my tent. And the silver is under it. So guys, you can look back up here for just a moment. Do you see what he said? The first thing that happened to him was that he saw. Now, let me say this. Seeing is not a sin. Depending on how long you stare. Seeing is not a sin. It's what you do with what you see that determines if it was an innocent act or a deliberate sin. Achan, at this point, guys, at this point in verse 21, when he saw, he still had a conscience at this point. He still knew what was right and wrong and what he should and should not have been doing. Uh, I, I believe he was convicted that those things were the... Here's the very thing Joshua warned us about. This is the thing that can become accursed to us. It's, yep, sure enough, it's the gold and the silver and, and those are the things that he told us belongs to the treasury of God. Yeah, and honestly, I believe he knew it in his heart at that time. I think he knew these were the things that were wrong to do and the prick of his heart was still there. But you know what happened? He continued to look. He began to think about it, how much this would be able to help his life. All this gold and the silver and the value that it would eventually bring into his life. This clothing and the security that it would bring to my life. And he began to think about this. And the callus began to grow over his heart and his conscience. He may have even gone on and left that place. Maybe threw a cover over it and went out and thought, you know what, I, I can't do that. And maybe he went out and continued to fight with some of the other men and, and uh, continued to win the battle. And in between the fights he would stop and think about Oh man, that place right back over there. Maybe he would run back over there and peel it out, open again, and there it is. And nobody was around and nobody was there to see. And he had a way to be able to stuff it in, uh, inside his garments, and he did so. And that callus continued to grow throughout the day as the battle wore on and as his heart grew um, uh, more calloused and less tender toward the things of God and this conscience was shoved down inside till he couldn't hear the voice of God anymore. Now that he no longer feels the prick of his own conscience it becomes an easy thing to sin against God and to take the forbidden things. Why? 
because of a set of values. Are you listening to me? A set of values that was deliberately placed in his heart that was given by a a godly leader and, and even by the voice of God when a godly set of principles was put into his heart and maybe as a young man he he said this feels so good to know the mind of Christ and to be able to walk with God like this I love when my heart is right with God and maybe Achan could look back on younger days and remember when those principles really meant something to him when maybe the word of God was taught his heart was so tender toward God and, and he loved those things but now that set of principles that had been placed into his heart has now been shoved down so deeply he cannot hear what God is trying to say. No longer feels the prick of the conscience and now it's an easy thing to sin against God. Now hear this. With our consciences seared, another voice begins to speak. It becomes loud and clear. It's not the voice of our conscience speaking with a still small voice in the conviction of God Now this is the voice called lust, and it takes over our reasoning. It begins to rewrite a new constitution for our heart. A new set of values are now replacing that good set of values that blessed my heart so much before. That that set of values that I had years ago that made my family so loving and caring that made us so uh, loving to God and God loved us, that set of values have now been shoved out of the way and I'm rewriting my constitution now. It's the voice of lust. And now, when somebody gets to that place, we'll begin to swap true value for counterfeit valuables. Now you'll begin to trust the flesh to do for you what only God used to do for you. You'll trade the approval of God, well done, good and faithful servant, for a cheap thrill of the flesh that lasts for just a little quick little moment. Let's just be honest about it, guys. When you look at what Achan did, let's take his, uh, let's take that gold and silver and a Babylonish garment, let's lay them, let's put, put them on display here, stand them up so the that, you know, the, the wedge of gold and the silver is piled up here and the lights shine on it. You can see the glitter. And then let's spread that Babylonish garment out. They say it could have been woven with golden thread, possibly. Can you see how beautiful that looks? <clears throat> now, to be honest, what you have to do to, to get a real clear picture of this is let's also lay the bodies of 36 men right alongside all of this and stop and realize what did Achan give up to have that what did he do to 36 homes so that selfishly some probably some younger man could have a little bit of glitter and gold in his pocket one day and was willing to shove the lives of 36 other families out the door and could care less. That's what happens when you let your conscience get seared and calloused over. You shove the value of real people out of your life. Please listen. You shove what really matters out of your life, and you trade it for something cheap like that. 36 of these bodies laid across an altar are eternal 
And that there is temporal. It'll fade away. Moth and rust will corrupt that and it'll be gone and you'll forget about it long after you're in eternity looking back in total regret for the foolish decisions that we've made in our heart. I know I said it last Sunday night, but can I just reiterate and say this again? If you're playing around with something in your life that is wrong and you think you've got it nice and hidden and tucked away and nobody knows about it, if you have taken your set of values that were once placed in your heart at one time really meant something to you, they really stirred your heart and used to mean something to you and you could tell this was the real thing, but now you've shoved it down so deep because you've got a new set of values. You've written a new constitution for your heart. I want to tell you, you're, you're taking what really, really matters shoving it out the door and saying it doesn't mean anything to me. God have mercy on the man or the woman or the boy or the girl that gets to that place in their life. Sin always carries horrible consequences, always does. But when we will listen to the principled voice of our conscience, directed by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our heart, it's amazing what God can do for your life and your family when I choose to listen to that voice of God. So what set of values do you have in your heart? Which ones are you drawing from tonight? Are, are you living that foolish life, life of Achan where I'm just going to go ahead and do what I want? I don't care what others say. I want my way. I want, I want that stuff laying right there. Now, friend, you're going to be so heartbroken. Your life is going to fall apart. I'm just going to tell you there's nothing sweeter than taking God by the hand and saying, God, I've been messing up and you know that. I've been in trouble. I'm at a place where I don't need to be. I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to bring that set of principles back up in my heart where I can hear your voice again, where I know that what I'm doing is now right again. God, help me to get off this path that I've been on. Let me walk that straight and narrow way and live for the Lord. I don't know where you're at tonight, but if there's anything in your heart that you've been trying to tuck and hide away and you think you've got it all covered up, man, I would so quickly... I wouldn't worry about who's sitting around me. I would uncover my tent, pull what I've hidden down inside of there and bring it before the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. Let, let my heart be right with you. Give me a walk with the Lord. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.